0: Jesus is real. power in your name. real.
1: God does to say, look, no, no, you're too bad. God, listen, God knows how bad we all really are. God realized that we are all grace cases. We need it. We're lost, all of us. Some of our lostness are extravagant and crazy and other of ours seems just pretty normal but still lost, just the same. But you just come. And God says, okay, let's go. Starting right here. And I love that about the Lord. No matter how you show up, he's
0: ready. Sometimes you just need a hug. No matter how old you are, there are bound to be times when you need comfort to know that you're not alone. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that God is always there for you, waiting to wrap you in His arms. Don't worry, He knows how messed up you are. Your deepest secrets won't stop Him from loving you and wanting a relationship with you. God is waiting to give you His grace and comfort. You just need to ask. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Numbers, chapter 9, as he continues his message, The Second Passover.
1: that about the Lord. That the Lord wants us to be part of what he's doing. He invites us in and says, come on. And in this instance, because they weren't prepared, he's like, look, there's a place for you. It'll just happen a little bit later. And even, I love this, even if a stranger dwells among you, somebody who is not of the children of Israel, in verse 14, He's saying, look, if someone who's not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, somebody who's just dwelling amongst you, a stranger in the land, if he wants in, he can be in too, as long as he does everything right. And that's always been the heart of God. Inclusive. See, people all the time, they say, this is why I don't like Christianity. It's so exclusive. It's sectarian. I'm like, no, no. The reason Christianity is exclusive is because people don't want to be there. God doesn't make you join if you don't want to. But if you want to, you can come just as you are and God will accept you and do the work because he's already accepted you. People all the time I don't understand Christianity, it's so separate. No, it's not. It's whoever wants to come, come on. Get your sins forgiven. Come to know God. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's doing a changing work in all of us. God is the most open-handed person you'll ever meet. If every single living person... And every single generation would turn their hearts to God and say, God, I believe in you, and I repent of my sins, and I want to walk with you. You know what God says? Let's do it. His heart's wide open for people. But people say, oh, it's so narrow. No, it's not. The reason it's narrow is because you don't want to be in. And God isn't going to drag you into his party. Like, listen, I want to give you all the blessings that you could ever imagine. I want to give you my spirit. I want to do all these things. I don't want He's not going to make you receive it. Some people say God's a perfect gentleman. But anybody can come. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you think you've done too many things wrong. You know, you've made too many mistakes. Listen, you come just as you are. And God says, I've been waiting for you. Come on. And God doesn't say, look, no, no, you're too bad. God, listen, God knows how bad we all really are. God realized that we are all grace cases. We need it. We're lost, all of us. Some of our lostness are extravagant and crazy and other of ours seems just pretty normal but still lost, just the same. But you just come. And God says, okay, let's go. We're we'll starting right here. And I love that about the Lord. No matter how you show up, he's ready. And I think this is beautiful that right here, the first Passover in the wilderness, the second of their existence, he's like, look, if there's a stranger in the land, they can come too. I want them. Come on. Just make sure you do it all the way you already know it's supposed to happen. Now, look what happens in verse 15. It says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of of the Lord they would camp as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle they remained encamped even when the cloud continued long many days above the tabernacle the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey so it was when the cloud was above The tabernacle, a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. Verse 23. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now, I always enjoy it in the Bible when things are redundant. It feels like a, like a needless repetition. Like, okay, see, like we, you told us that five times already in eight verses. But I think the reason the Holy Spirit repeats himself in the Bible is because, by and large, we're pretty thick-headed. We don't and always get it the first time. I don't know about you. That's been my, my personal experience with myself is that sometimes I got to hear it 97 times before I, oh, really? That's what you want? Am I the only one? Oh, yeah, I'm the only one. You guys, you guys should be preaching. I'll be down there just with my notebook learning. <laughs> it's good because seriously, it's like this section over and over again we hear the same thing, which is what? That when the cloud moved, they moved. And when the cloud stayed, they stayed. Right? So there's two sides to this. First, the visible experience of the presence of God. That's the first thing. So before I get into the second piece, the fact that there is this cloud, that when they erected the tabernacle, this cloud was there. And at night it looked like fire. And during the day it was a cloud. So think about it. They're in the desert. Right? So you're grateful for the cloud by day because what does it do? It protects you from the sun. You can imagine the sunburn those guys and gals would get walking through the wilderness with that blazing sun. So it was protection by day and of course by night having a big fi- a cloud of fire by night it would light up the area. How many of you saw the huge moon last night? It, was, it looked like it was half daytime. All night. Right? It's a powerful thing. And so God's presence for the children of Israel was visible. Now, I think we should probably spend a little time talking about that, shouldn't we? Because if you notice, if you read your Bible, in any instance where a group of people are in their infancy with God, God's presence is extravagant. And then over time, his presence doesn't need to be as extravagant because they simply trust So if you look at the book of Acts, God's presence was so tangible and visible that you couldn't miss it. Why? Because this church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, was in their infancy. In the same way as a parent, when you have a little baby, it's all hands-on, right? And then they get a little older, and all of a sudden, like, I can do it myself. Right? Because they they actually can. But a good parent, like I have it with my six-year-old Maranatha, she can do everything herself. But she really can't. We don't tell her that, though. So we let her do it, and we stand back, hoping nothing blows up, you know? And then as they get older, those of you who are raising teenagers, we're praying for you. Because we know that you, teenagers hit a point where your parents don't know anything. Like, they got you there. You're 15 years old. You don't have a clue about anything. You didn't learn anything. You don't understand everything. Is that true? You parents of teenagers, praying for you guys, Right? And then what happens all of a sudden later when they're about 23 years old and they've been paying their own bills, they're like, hey, mom and dad wasn't so bad, right? But it takes time. And in a lot of ways, that's a great way, a great example of how God works in the life of a believer. When you're a baby Christian, it's like you just feel God smothering love because you're a baby. And you need God to take care of everything because you can't take care of anything. But then as you get a little older, God... You know that God is real, and so God can back off a little bit. He doesn't have to be so smothering. And then God backs off a little bit more, and then we hit that point in our walks when we become self-reliant, which is not a healthy thing, right? And then we crash and burn a little bit, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I really need God, and then you get back to that sweet spot. See, I think what happens for us is oftentimes if we feel God's presence was greater when we were younger believers, we feel like there's something wrong, actually... That's the way it's supposed to be. I remember there was a devotional called Streams in the Desert. And I'll never forget, there was one of the devotions where a preacher was recounting a vision that he had seen when he was in he was a dream. And there was a person, and Jesus was hugging them, right? And then the next person, Jesus had his hand on their shoulder. And then the third person, Jesus just stood back and watched. And this guy in his dream said, oh, how much Jesus loved the first person who he was hugging and how little he loved the third person. And the Lord came to him and said, no, 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 you don't understand. The first person needs to know that I am right there. The third person I love just the same, but they already trust me. They know I'm there. They don't need the visible evidence that I'm there because they just know it. And I believe that that's true for our lives in the spirit. That there are times when we need God's smothering and suffocating love. And then there are times when we just trust God and we don't need that to be like, man, is God really here? No, because you just know God is always here. Now this has nothing to do with access to the power of the spirit. This just has to do with the way we experience it. And I, I really felt led to share that because if you watch God in the midst of the children of Israel, it's only here and at the erection of the temple that God's presence is visible for the whole community in this type of way. It's very rare. Because God expects in their infancy, they need his smothering touch. And then as they mature, they don't need that to trust. Because they just know that God is God and they have a track record with God. I'm like, man, God has always taken care of it. But I just believe that there's some of us who as we were maturing in our faith, you're like, well, I used to kind of, I used to sense like the the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and and I miss those days. It's like, well, maybe those days aren't there because God knows that you already trust them and you don't need the pyrotechnics because you trust them. But for the children of Israel now, in this infancy being called out of Egypt, God's presence is profoundly seen But I think the other side of this, the fact that the children of Israel only went when God said go and stayed when God stayed, we don't need a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night to learn that principle because I think for many of us, we have to learn how to get in step with the Spirit of God. We have to learn how to say, God, I'm not going to get ahead of you and I'm not going to lag behind. I'm not going to run ahead presumptuously. I'm going to wait till you say go and I'm going to go. And if you say stay, I'm going to stay. But the key is is that we're either trying to lead or we're following Jesus. I say we're trying to lead because you and I both know what happens when you try and lead your own life. It's a calamity. Right? Like, you're just doing it your own way, and you're hoping God's on board, and then everything falls. I've had this happen in my life. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? He's like, well, you tell me. This is your thing. (laughs) When did I say do that? Well, Lord, you know. We have to learn how to say, God, what is your plan? And for most of us, what happens is, is we start to just assume, because we love Jesus, that everything we're doing is the right thing. I know this right well. I mean, like, I, I believe we all struggle with that in different ways. For some of you, because you're more kind of calm, God is trying to get you going, and God's moving, and you're like, Yeah, well, I've been here for a while. You know, it's like, it's good. Lord loves me. I love the Lord. For some of us, I think God wants to give us a good, loving, swift kick in the rear. He's like, Come on, let's go. And for others of us, and I'm in this category, God's like, He's got like me by the back of the, the dreadlock, you know. Boost go, stop right there. Because I'm like, let's go, man. The Lord wants to do something. Let's go do it, you know. And depending on if you're a Mary or a Martha, or someone told me, or if you're Lazarus, you're dead in the tomb and you're not willing to go anywhere, you know. <laughs> someone, one of my brothers shared this with me, that he asked his wife, like, so are you a Mary or Martha? And she said, well, she's like, well, which one am I? Is like, you're Lazarus you got to love the love of a husband and a wife. You know, only, only your spouse can drop that on you in that way. But it's like, depending on your personality type, sometimes we don't ever want to move, and God's wanting us to take a step. And sometimes we're out ahead of God. And we have to say, Lord, I want to go when you say go, and I want to stay when you say stay. And I love what it says here. It goes so far to say, if they're there for a day, a month, or a year, they waited until God moved. And I think for us, many of us, we're not willing to wait a week or a month, let alone a year, for God to ask us to take the next step. We're just like, man, we're right now people. Our culture's a right now culture. And we have to learn how to to wait on the Lord, don't we? We have to learn how to say, God, what's your time frame? What's your plan for this? And all the way through this, the children of Israel, they're doing a good job of They're letting the Lord direct them. God's saying, go, they go. God's saying, stay, they stay. No matter how long they waited, until that pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night moved, they did not get ahead or behind the Lord. Now, what we're also going to find is that in the midst of that, they have all sorts of other issues that go on. Even though they weren't moving camp, their hearts, in a sense, were moving camp away, and back to the Lord numerous times. But that is for our next series. Let's jump into chapter 10, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them... For calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only once, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, The camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys, verse 7. And when the assembly is on, is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations." When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your month, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, in the first two verses here, we get the kind of the construction and the purpose of the trumpets, and then verses 3 to 7, you get a bunch of different signals for how the trumpets will be used during the wilderness march, and then verses 9 and 10, um, when they're settled in the land, then we get more functions for the trumpet. Now, I really like this chapter because I'm a huge Miles Davis fan, and so God dug Miles Davis... That's what I get when I read this Because when, when the trumpet got blown the, God remembered the children of Israel And as a fan of jazz music As someone who played jazz professionally Every time I hear a trumpet I just think about these verses That every time a trumpet's blown God remembers the children of Israel Kind of a cool thing God's people Now, again Maybe not always But I, I like the thought of it And if you've never heard Miles Davis You need to listen Because he's good for you So good Anyway Notice, two silver trumpets, make them of hammered work, and you use them for calling the congregation and directing the movement of the camps. Okay? So the children of Israel got used to hearing the sound of the trumpets and knowing that that trumpet sound meant different things. So God wanted to be able to call the whole assembly together. Now notice, when you blow both of them, all the congregation shall come. So when both trumpets get blown in a certain way— all the congregation shows up at the opening or the mouth of the tabernacle of meeting. If it gets blown only once, then just the leaders show up, right? Then there's the sound of the advance. You know, when I think of a sound of advance, I think of or one of those, you know, and you know that it's time to go. When that starts happening, the east side lets out, and then the south side, so they start leaving uh, quite simply. Then notice who gets to blow the trumpets: the priests. That's kind of cool. I was going to make a bad joke about Miles Davis with that. But anyway, notice when you go to war, when when you're being attacked, the trumpet will blow. At all the appointed feasts, the trumpet will blow. At the change of the months, the trumpet will blow. So this is the last piece of information they get before verse 11, which begins their wilderness march. The last thing is that when the trumpet blows, it means something. And for the children of Israel, that meant, they got used to hearing all the different sounds. They knew what they meant. It was either a call to arms or a call to, to come to the tabernacle or a call for the leaders to show up and come to the tabernacle and all this stuff. Now, there is another meaning to the trumpets that I need to get into because you guys have read your New Testament and you realize that there's something there. That when Jesus is calling his people home, it's called the what? The trump of God. Now, commentators argue whether that's the second coming or the rapture of the church before all these things. And because it's at the end of a a sermon, I don't want to open up that whole can of worms right now. But you can feel free to text in a question. I can open it up then. We'll have a little extra time after it. But what you have ultimately is that when God is going to call his people home, at whatever way your theological position calls that, that trump of God is when God is going to draw all of his people. The people who are dead, the bodily resurrection for those who are alive, the translation from humans from earth into the presence of the Lord. It could be about 1 Thessalonians 4. It's a lot of different places in the Olivet Discourses of Matthew 21 and 22, Mark 13 and 14, and Luke 23 and 24. If I got those, I think I got all those right. Pretty sure. It's all in there. It's also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you get a lot of it in the book of Revelation, including in chapters 4 and 5. And in chapters 9. You you guys wrote all that down, right? You get it on the tape later. There's all these different places where these pictures come on up. And the idea every time is that at that trumpet sound, that last trump call, that is when God's people will go to be with Him and will forever be ultimately in His presence. And I'm here to tell you that since... The ascension of Jesus we are still awaiting that trumpet call. The Apostle Paul believed he was living in the last days and we believe today that we are living in the last days. Why? Because since Jesus ascended into heaven the only thing we're waiting for is for him to come back. And that is at any moment in a twinkling of an eye.
0: Jesus is Thanks for listening today as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this series in numbers by encouraging you to follow God's direction for your life. Just like the Israelites trailed the pillar of smoke or fire through the desert, God is leading you through your daily life. You learned that it can be easy to run ahead of God or lag behind, but that the safest and best place for you is to be right next to Him. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us in reaching more and more people with the gospel message. Would you prayerfully consider donating? All amounts are useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more on our website, JesusIsRealRadio.com. That's JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you in advance for your generosity. Are
1: you in the Vancouver area and looking for a church family to be a part of? I have an amazing place for you to visit, Crossroads Community Church. Join me, Pastor Daniel, this Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. as we gather together to simply respond to Jesus. I can't wait to talk about what Jesus means to you and how his love can transform the world. Find out more about us at crossroadschurch.net. Well, that
0: finishes up the series called Camp, a look into the directions God gave the Israelites for how they were to set up their camp. Pastor Daniel shared that God is orderly and wanted his people to have a plan for how they would live and move during their time in the desert. From the tents to the tabernacle, from setting up to moving around, you were reminded that God cares about the details of your life and wants you to look to him for direction. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.